0: Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearcchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. We started a series last week and talking about making progress. And there's something in us that desires to make progress. I don't know about you, but I would rather drive 30 miles out of my way than absolutely sit in traffic for any length of time. So the idea of making progress is something that I certainly like. So also the idea of making progress, we talked about spiritual progress and making spiritual progress, and this again was last week, you can always download that, get that for free. But we talked about the fact that spiritual progress is growing in our faith, growing in our love our Christian character and growing in our perseverance. And so that's that. we have that capacity, we all have that ability, and making spiritual progress is something that will bless all of our lives. And so this is one of the things that we want to do, is make that kind of progress. And so one of the questions we have is, how do we do that? Because one of the things that people get kind of caught up in is that oftentimes they think, if I do something on the outside, it's going to change something on the inside. Now, we, I, a lot of times people will read, you hear about, Uh, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos and you read about their, their routines and Elon Musk evidently gets up very early, skips breakfast, does all of his meetings in like 15 minute manageable time frames. And people think, okay, I'm gonna do that kind of routine and I'm gonna be famous and wealthy like Elon Musk. Doesn't necessarily work that way. Necessarily changing a routine won't necessarily change you on the inside. Just like going to a gym won't necessarily put you in shape. You know, every New Year's, people, people go to the gym. It's like New Year's resolution. I'm gonna to go to the gym and that's gonna make me exercise. <laughs> and that works for a little bit. There was a guy who, a uh, middle-aged guy, out of shape, showed up New Year's, t- January showed up at a new gym and he was getting a, a tour from one of the trainers who was kind of training him on the machines. And he noticed there was a lot of pretty women in this gym. So he looks around and he says to the trainer, he said, hey, he said, what machine do I need to use to impress all these pretty ladies. And the trainer looks him up and down and says, sir, I'm gonna suggest the ATM machine out in the the lobby. Changing your routine, buying gear will not necessarily change it on the inside. Outside change doesn't always produce inside change. You know, a lot of times people think if if I purchase something new, it's gonna change things. And and you you see that especially with houses. I remember when we, we were all living on about a 1900 square foot house. There was five of us. Matt and Michael were big age groups and we realized we needed more space. So we moved to a larger house, but it didn't change the components of who we were as a family. Larger house, you just have more room to fight in. And so, but the idea, oftentimes people think, well, if I just, if I get a, a new house, that's gonna change my family. I've heard, I heard a man say something years ago, I've never forgotten it. He said, people often build with their hands what they miss with their hearts. And so oftentimes people are trying to do something on the outside and they're trying to produce inside change. It's the same way with moving locations or moving spouses. They think, man, if I can just move to a new, new city, get a new place, it's going to change things. And the, the challenge is, sometimes it doesn't, that, that's good. But oftentimes what you find is you're still you when you get there. And so, or people just say, you know, if I could just get a new spouse. In my entire life, would look straight ahead. Don't look around. <laughs> just, just look. But people often find that that's not the case. And so, the, that the world sells us this idea that sometimes if we can do something on the outside, it'll change us on the inside. And that's not the way it works. And God's spiritual growth is an inside-out process. In fact, Paul, when he was writing to the church at, uh, at Rome, wrote this in, in uh, Romans 12:2. He said, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. He's talking about a world that doesn't know God. He said, But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And it's talking about, he said, Don't be conformed, don't be molded into the way the world operates. Outside will will produce changes on the inside. He said, be transformed. That's the same word where we get the word metamorphosis from. It means there's an inside change produces change on the outside. And when you say, well, how in the world do I even make any changes on the inside? Thank God we have God's word, which can help us begin to change our perspective, how we see things, how we do things, our attitude. And that causes transformation in our life. It's an inside out thing. And it's an inside out it begins to change us. And thank God we, we have the ability to do that. But, but Paul warns, he said, don't be conformed that way. And in 1879, an expedition took off uh, from the U.S. on the USS Jeannette, And it was George Washington DeLong and 28 of his men. And they were traveling to the, the North Pole. He wanted to claim the North Pole for the United States. And so as they were traveling, they were basing the entire expedition on the maps that the leading cartographers and the geologists and the scientists of that day were saying that when you got to a certain place near the the North Pole, there was this free Atlantic polar sea. It was teeming with life. And once you reached there, it would be like sailing on the Mediterranean or the Caribbean. And you could sail right up to the North Pole. These were the leading leading minds of the day, and they said, this, this exists. They'd never been there, but they said it exists. And so George DeLong started an entire expedition based on the map, and the, the leading map maker was a guy named uh, August Peterman, and Peterman said, this, yeah, this polar sea is there. Well, expeditions had tried to get there before, and they kept getting trapped in the ice. So you would think that, that Peterman and the other Experts would back off of that, but they doubled down. And Peterman said, there's a thermometric gateway, which sounds very sophisticated. A thermometric gateway that if you can break through that, you get to the polar sea. So off goes George DeLong and his crew on the ship, and they get farther and farther in, and all they see is ice that seems to go on forever. And then the ice begins to engulf their ship and soon they are immobile and what they had to face was the fact that all this thermometric gateway and the polar sea did not exist it wasn't real it was a delusion they had based that whole expedition on wrong thinking in the wrong way he said well what happened well the ice eventually crushed the ship and some of the crew escaped to Siberia George DeLong And some of his people never made it there. And George DeLong actually died in the snow. They said he died with his finger pointing up. He died of starvation. Based his whole expedition on the wrong map. He said, well, what's that got to do with me? How many people are basing their whole lives on the wrong maps? How many times are people basing their lives on what the world tells them is going to make them happy? What the world tells them is going to make them successful? What the world says, this this is the key, this is the secret, but I've got good news for you. God's ways work. And God's word works. And God's word is a map that doesn't have illusions and it doesn't have delusions and it's truth and it's truth that makes us free. So this morning, as we're talking about making progress, we're talking about changes, I wanna talk about a man that we talked about last week. His name is Naaman. He's a Syrian commander. He's a general and uh, he is a powerful man. He's a victorious soldier warrior but he has leprosy, which is a disease that eats at the outside of your body and it will eventually kill you. And it's contagious and there's no cure for it. And he was a leper. And he had a young girl that they had captured from Israel. She was a slave in effect, lived in, lived in his home, took care of his wife. And she said, this little slave girl said, you know, he said, if, if my master Naaman, if he went to, to, to uh, Israel, there's a prophet there who could heal him of leprosy. And Naaman jumped on that, man you have to think he had to have some humility to listen to a little slave girl. And he listened to her and he goes to his king and he says, hey king, there's this girl that said if I can get to Israel, to this one prophet he can heal me of leprosy. And king of Syria said, well I'll write a letter. Syria and Israel were not friends, they still aren't but they were not friends then. And he, so the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel says, I'm sending my servant Naaman so you can heal him of leprosy. And the king of Israel is like oh you've got to be kidding me. Seriously? How am I going to do that? And Elisha, the prophet, said, send him to me. He'll find out there's a true prophet in Israel. Let's find out what happens. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry, stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why should I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. His mindset and his thinking are things we can learn from. He did some things right, he did some things wrong and we can learn from both. What he did right was this, he put a great value in his healing. He was making a trip and he didn't go empty handed. He went with, we read it last week, about 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 like suits of clothing. I mean, he, you need a Brinks truck to carry all that. And he carried all that in. So he went, he did not go empty handed. When I married Joy, she is 100% Italian. I came from a Baptist Southern background. But I noticed every time Joy goes someplace, she never goes empty handed. If we go visit somebody, she always brings a gift. If we go and like have lunch with some of the guest ministers that come in, she always has a gift for them or their wife. I think that's one of the reasons they love coming. It's because they know that Joy is gonna give them something good. She just doesn't go empty handed. That's just part of her culture. And when Naaman showed up, he showed up man with some stuff. And, and, and he didn't just, like, you don't just throw this in, on the back of the mule. He had chariots and horses, and you had to have soldiers because you couldn't, man, you couldn't travel like that with that much wealth without having some protection. And, and he had a, man, he had just a, it was a caravan there. And that trip cost him time and money, but he valued it. He valued the opportunity to be healed. And it was so important to him that he got his wealth together. And he took the time and he took the risk and he made the trip. It was valuable. You, what we tend to value, we'll pay for. But then, his expectations almost tripped him up. I mean, he, he didn't know God. He came from a, a background where the only God he knew was a God named Ryman. he was the Syrian God. And usually those, those ancient uh, heathen gods and their priests, man, they had a lot of show. They were all show and no go, no power, but they had a lot of show. And they had pyrotechnics, and they were waving their hands around. And so so Naaman went with this mentality of he knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen, and he was so surprised. He pulls up, man, so he pulls up to the to the house, he got chariots out there. Man, it looks like SUVs, they were the SUVs of the day. Man, they got all these chariots out there and guys with dark sunglasses standing around him. And he's, he's standing out there and, and Elisha sends an intern out, like the messenger's like. So messenger comes out and goes, um, Mr. Naaman, oh, you're Mr. Naaman, Mr. Naaman, if you'll go dip in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be healed, have a nice day, sir. He turns around and goes back in. Now, can you imagine you made all this trip, you took all this time, you got all this money and an intern comes out and tells you to go dip seven times in a nasty river. And you're like, oh, he was mad. He's like, no. He's probably looking around going, what was that? What was that? Surely, I thought, he said, I thought he would come and strike his hands all around the leprosy (laughs) and call on the name of his God and heal the leper. That didn't happen. So, man, he's mad. He turns around and burns chariot rubber right out of there. You see, he's going going up because he expected things to be done a certain way, and when expectations are here and reality is here, right in the middle is the anger zone, and he was angry. But one thing I I love about Naaman is he was willing to make adjustments. You see, his, his servants came to him; they could talk to him. You know, some people you can't talk to. His servants could talk to him. And they said, sir, um, if, if the prophet asks you to do something really hard like drive through fire, you'd do that. Why don't you just go down to the river? I mean, he's upset. He didn't want to go to the Jordan River. Nah, it's let's like, go, let's like go, go dip in Caney Creek. <laughs> it's go dip in Caney Creek. He's like, the rivers of Damascus, sir, they're better than this Jordan River. He didn't want to do that. I'm like, sir, all he, all he said was, was, go dip seven times. And basically what they looked at him and said, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? I mean, maybe the risk of being embarrassed. So he goes to the river. I don't, I don't know if he brought his swim trunks or not, but he goes, he goes down in the river. He's, he comes up once. He comes up twice. He comes up three times. and someone, so That's three times, Mr. Name Sir, four poor to go. And so he, he's dipping. Now, he, here's a thought. We don't get any indication that healing took place until after he dipped the seventh time. He could have quit at number three or four. He could have come out by the water and go, I don't see any change, forget this. But Naaman was a soldier and he was accustomed to following orders. And his obedience had him dip seven times. And when he came up the seventh time, his skin was completely healed. Aren't you glad God heals lepers then? He still heals bodies now and still can do amazing things. And so here he was, he he came out, he obeyed, he made adjustments. Even though his expectations were wrong, he adjusted. And he came over and did it God's way. And it was his obedience that got him there. You say, well, that's, that's pretty good. You know, that's for Naaman. Do you know that Jesus actually referenced Naaman by name? Hundreds of years later, Jesus talked about the fact that there were all these lepers in Israel when Elisha was the prophet and only one leper was healed and that was Naaman the Syrian. So we can learn from this guy. This guy got answers. He he made progress. How do you do the interchanges that make the progress on the outside? How do we make spiritual progress? So let's take a look at some of what we can learn from Naaman. And here's the first one. We have to value, assign value to making spiritual progress. Assign value to it. You say, what do you mean assign value? Because what's valuable to you, you'll you'll do. You'll, you'll, You'll pay for it. I'm not a, I am not ai don't shoot skeet, and I'm not a bird hunter. But if you shoot skeet or bird hunter, you've heard of a certain shotgun called a Bellini. It's made by Italian. It's a beautiful shotgun. If you, uh, if you look it up, I'll be around their website, $4,500 is one of their top. Now, some of us are going, what? Forty, I wouldn't pay $4,500 for a shotgun, but well, you're not a hunter or a skeet shooter. But if you are and you value that, you might be willing to do that. You know, a few years ago we had one of our um, uh, string instruments. Man, what did he have? He had a cello. Yes. How much was it? About two hundred fifty thousand. Two. Wow. I, I told him three hundred in the first. I like mine better. It was. It was the three. <laughs> Maybe it's gone up by then. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollar cello. Man, I'd have brought that thing in with armed guards. But it, it's. But you're thinking, what cello for a? For a cello, for, a, for an instrument, I wouldn't pay that much. He would. He valued it. And what we value, we tend to pay for. And so here's, here's the thought. Here's the thought. What do you value on spiritual growth? You say, well, it's not going to cost me anything, is it? Yeah, well, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you effort. It's going to cost you focus. But here's the thing. You begin to grow spiritually, it will absolutely impact every other area of your life. Because the deal is, if your faith grows, then your ability to handle life gets better. You have more confidence in God Then whatever life brings at you. You have the ability to deal with that even better. And if your love and your Christian character grows, how many of you know that instead of being the drama bringer, you're the peacemaker and you're the one that can bring help into your family. And if you persevere, you become an example to people who say, if there's a God, that he can do something for me as well. Growing spiritually, Paul told Timothy, it will bless you in this life and it will bless you in the life to come. And so he wrote Timothy in that very same chapter, and he told him this. He said, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Meditate on the words. Begin to put this in your thinking and be absorbed in them and begin to put this into practice. So, uh, you well, know, uh, this is hard. No, it's not that hard. You can do this. It may require you maybe in the morning to take your phone and leave it in another place. And just have moments where you're just spending quiet time with the Lord, where you're reading his word, where you're praying, where you're, where you're talking to him. He say, well, I, uh, Alan, I don't know. I mean, here I am in church. I mean, I came to church. Isn't that enough? Oh, we're glad you're here. I realize some of you were drug here, but I, I am glad you're here. And so the idea, though, is it's, we're here to help you. We can't do it for you. And if you're going to grow spiritually, you're going to have to go, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm gonna assign some value in it because it'll change my life, it'll change my mental health, it'll change my family, it'll change everything about me and it's worth it and I'll do it. Here's the next thing. Manage your expectations. When expectations are here and reality's here, there's a problem but we do need to have expectations, guys. We need to have expectations that if we draw close to God, he'll draw close to us. That if we pray, he'll hear us. We were singing that song, that you answer praise. If we seek you, we'll find you. Listen, we got to have expectation that something good is going to happen. One of my favorite verses is Psalms 27, 13 said, I would have lost heart unless I believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know what keeps us from losing heart? Is we believe that if we put in the effort, if we put the time in, if we seek God, then good things are going to happen. And listen, because good things are going to happen, we don't give up. We believe something good is gonna to happen to us. That's expectations, and that's a powerful thing. But the challenge is, is when expectations are here and reality's here, and so don't start telling God how, when, and why, and what. Don't tell him, don't put all the, well, I thought God was gonna do this, and I thought God was gonna do that. <laughs> when Joy and I got married, her expectations were here, and her reality was right here. <laughs> she was, and she'll tell you this, she was plagued by fear. When I met Joy, she was just plagued by fear and she hated going to sleep at night. And so all the lights were on and she actually had her Bible in her bed with her. And when we got married, I'm like, no, 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 no. I I need the lights off and I I don't want to roll over on the Bible. I, I need this, so let's take that out. Well, she, no problem because she believed that when we got married, that I would hold her all night in my arms. And, and just cuddle her and, and all as she's sleeping, I'm holding her wrong I love close proximity, but when it comes to sleeping, I'm here and you're there no tush, no tush I just just. But see, if her expectations were here and her reality was here, this is where the anger gets. Sometimes we get what God's going to do it this way and this is how it's going to happen and this is when it's going to happen. And when we don't manage those expectations, guys, that's when it gets tough. Begin to manage the expectations. I'm not telling God how to do it. I just believe he will. I'm I'm not, you know, if I'm going to pursue him and I'm going to grow with him, then I'm going to trust that it's going to happen. I'm not putting a time frame on it. Here's the last one. And this is big. Be willing to make adjustments. You know, if Naaman had just simply kept up with his way or the highway, the answer would have been no way. And when we do the very same thing, we don't get answers. It's like, Lord, I'm going to do it this way. This is the way I'm going to do it. That's not the way it works. James, the fourth chapter, James wrote the church and he said this. He gives more grace, God's ability and power on our behalf. Therefore, he says, God, resist the proud that gives grace to the humble. Now people say, well, I don't like that idea of humility. I don't want to put myself down. Humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is lifting God up. It's putting him above you. It's saying, God, your ways are right. God, your ways are doing things. Naaman had to do the very same thing. He finally had to agree, I'm going to do it God's way. And when he did it God's way, he got answers. When we do it God's way, good things happen. When we do it our way, not so good things happen. I started, Joy and I tried to start a church in my hometown in 1989, Greensboro, North Carolina. It was ill-planned, ill-conceived, and we shut it down in a month. And it just, it was, it was a disaster. My mother stopped coming. (laughs) So we spent about a year and a half in North Carolina, hard year and a half, and we, god opened up a door for us to come back to texas and i was so so thankful to get back to texas and so we got here and i'm i'm working for a good company and i'm going to lakewood church john osteen was my pastor and i wasn't going to pastor a church anymore i had tried that i had done that i'm done we're done and but i told pastor osteen, i said anything you need me to do sir i'll do it i taught classes we volunteered in different areas anything he I was a great volunteer i said i'll make money i'll give I'll support missions, but I'm not starting a church. And so the Lord kept working, you know, I got, I, here's, here's a, a thought. God doesn't change his mind. We have to change our, you're not going to talk God and, and finally he's going to look at you and go, okay, let's do it your way. <laughs> and so I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not, but the Lord began to talk to me about, about starting a, a church and, and not starting, excuse me, pastoring a church. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll pastor. But I need a church that's already going. John Osteen's son-in-law, got a someone gave him a church, had 250 people, and he took it over. already had a staff and a building. I'm like, that's what I want. I don't want to start a church. I want, I want Lord, I want you to give me a church. It's got a lot of people and a good salary, and everyone loves one another in a, good part of, in a good part of the country. And I looked and could not find a place. I went to my Bible school. They couldn't place me. I asked Pastor Osteen, he knew everybody in the country. He couldn't place me. And I'm like, oh. And one Wednesday night at church, there was a, a group of, of people that came down to the front. John Osteen introduced them. He said, these folks are from Switzerland and they're looking to start a church. He said, Alan, come down and pray for them. So I just, I didn't know I was coming. I just came down and prayed for them. And after I prayed for them, I'll never forget. Pastor Osteen looked at me. He said, you know, Alan, if God calls you to start a church there, it would be a great work. They went back to their seats and Joy and I went back and we're thinking, hey, Switzerland. Now we're talking, baby. Now we're talking. I'm not talking about Switzerland, Louisiana. I'm talking about Switzerland, Switzerland. I'm talking about beautiful Switzerland. Joy starts braiding her hair. We're drinking hot chocolate. We're, we're watching Heidi movies and eating rucola. I mean, we're, we are... We're heading for Switzerland. And we prayed about that for about a week, and it just absolutely left us. And we're back to ground zero. And crossing I-45, down here going south, crossing over Luke 3:36, Conroe, Texas, dropped in my heart like you would drop a quarter in a a machine. It just dropped in me. And I went home, and I looked at Joy, and I said, Conroe. We're going to start a church in Conroe. No transition. Switzerland. (laughs) Conroe. <laughs> but how many of you know when it's God's plan, it works. When it's God's plan, it's the best place. Joy and I have always said, listen, I, grew, I went to college in the mountains of North Carolina. We just spent a week there. It's beautiful. The mountains are beautiful. People say, oh, do you miss the mountains? No, this is my Switzerland. This is where I want to be. In the will of God is the best place to be. This is where. But here's the deal. I had to make the adjustment. I had to say, God, it's not my plan; it's Your plan, and I had to do it His way. Now I'm going to end this service differently this morning. I have a word for you. It's the word of the Lord. For those of you who are dealing with just mental oppression and depression, I've got a word for you. For those of you who feel like your spiritual life is absolutely going nowhere, I've got a word for you. For those of you who felt like that, that. Things have just overwhelmed you to the point where you're just so distracted. It's just hard for you to even sit and concentrate. I got a word for you. Are you ready? It's a it's a word just like a word that came to Naaman. It's a word for you. And here it is. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You say, Alan, you tricked me. That's not a word of the Lord. Yeah, it is. That is the word of the Lord. It's a word for this church. He said, "Well, that's too simplistic." Yeah, so was dipping in the Jordan. This is a go-dip passage. This is a go-dip word. What do you mean, rejoice always? I don't have anything to rejoice about. Well, try this. Lord, thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that if I went, Lord, I just rejoice that if I die tonight, I'm spending time with you. I'll never go to hell thank you for what you've done. Lord, I rejoice in your goodness and I rejoice that you've made me a new creation. The Bible says rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Don't give up. So I don't know how to pray. Just talk to the Lord. You can talk to him when you're driving. You can talk to him in your quiet times. You can talk to the Lord, but don't give up. And in everything, give thanks. Just find reasons to say, Lord, thank you. Man, I woke up this morning. It's beautiful. I'm like, Lord, thank you that we have 20 days like this in Houston and I'm glad for them. Thank you. Thank you, but you can begin to be thankful in all things. Now, here's, here's what's gonna happen. You say, well, Alan, I, got, I, th- I thought you had a word for me. I've I got problems, man. i got things bothering me, and you're telling me to rejoice and to pray and to give thanks? That's exactly, and it's not me telling you. This is the word of the Lord to you, and it's just as much of a word as what Elisha gave Naaman. Go dip. So I don't want to. Go dip. I'm gonna try it for a couple of days. Give it at least seven. He had to dip seven, you can try for seven. But here's what happens, when you begin to rejoice, when you begin to pray, when you begin to give thanks, then God becomes more real to you. And when God is more real to you, then your ability to handle life is better. And and your enablement to deal with things is so much better. When God's more real, life is not as big. And the problems aren't as big. And the challenges aren't as big. Rejoice. Always, You say, well, you, tri- you tricked me, Alan. I thought you really had something good. This is good. Go dip. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Heads are loud, eyes are closed. No one's looking around. You came this morning and said, you know what, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I know that. He knows that. Or maybe you are feel like you've been on the backside of the desert for a long time. You've been away from God and you realize today, I've been away from Him and I need to come back. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to have you stand up or come to the front. This prayer is for you. You're watching online, watching by television. This prayer is for you. you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking around. I am going to ask you to do one thing. If that's you that I'm talking to and you say, you know what? I do know I need a relationship with the Lord. I do know I need to come back to him. Alan, would you pray for me? Shoot your hand up real quick just across this auditorium and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. Obviously, if you're online, I can't see you. Maybe you didn't lift your hand, but you realize, man, I, I, I need this in my life. We're going to pray this prayer. You pray it with us. If you're watching online, if you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If with others, pray it quietly. We're going to pray it with you together as a church family. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the One who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, heads are still bowed, eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. For those who have stepped out of spiritual darkness into the light, and for those who've come back, Lord, we rejoice with them. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you that there are answers. Thank you there are things we can do, mentalities we can adopt. Growth can happen, and life can be better. So we give you all the praise for that. Thank you that we can rejoice, we can pray, we can give thanks. Lord, I thank you for strengthening and blessing your people. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearchurch.com. Have a great week.